The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you. And as always, the next 30 minutes of Frank Open Honest Conversation about gambling addiction. Happy to have, as always... Uh, Dan Trelara from Epic Risk Management. Dan is at the airport in Denver, Colorado right now, uh, doing God's work, talking to college kids uh, coast to coast. Danny, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing very well, Craig. Good morning. And happy to have Stephen in Connecticut joining us today as well. Stephen, a gambler in recovery like myself and Dan. Uh, Steve, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Craig. How are you? Hey, Dan. Doing great. I appreciate you coming on. If you don't mind me asking, when was uh, your last wager? Uh, August 15th, 1987. Wow. All right. I love it. I love it. More than 30 years in recovery. Good to talk to you. And uh, congratulations on that great achievement. I'm sure it means a lot to you and your family. Absolutely. So let's go back to, I guess, 1986 or early 1987. We'll get to there in a second. What is your story in regards to, as a kid, as a young adult, how were you first exposed to gambling? Okay, uh, so Craig, uh, I, I grew up with gambling. My, my dad was a gambler. He was a bookie, uh, card shark, hustler. Um, that's what he did for a living. That was his job. Um, and this was in the days before the casinos opened in Connecticut, and most of the gambling was done with bookmakers. So, I, you know, it, my whole life was always around gambling. Our whole family life was always surrounded around gambling. You know, Lake George for vacation in, in August when Saratoga was open, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. So just always exposed to it didn't understand a lot about it but you know there was a lot of a lot of challenges for the family growing up as father yeah you know, i would think you know my father's lifestyle yeah based on what your dad was doing there had to be uh, you know highs and losses you know financial concerns when you know gamblers won a lot of money from them. maybe you can't pay the mortgage that kind of stuff do you vividly remember as a kid some of the highs and lows as your dad won and lost absolutely craig uh, i can remember going on you know Great vacations to the Bahamas when things were good, or or, or um, the Virgin Islands, things like that, when things were really good, and yeah, stuff like that. But then there were also times when things weren't so good. So yeah, and it was really hard on my mom, my dad's lifestyle. So. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, she had to bear the brunt of it. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, then you, absolutely. of course, and any other siblings you might have had. When you look back on it, and I'm not saying you felt this way in the at, in the moment, but when you look back on your life with clarity. As a kid growing up in that environment, do you remember it being just, this is my life, this is the only normal I have, or do you remember it being, hey, it's kind of cool what my dad does? You know, that's a great question, Craig, because I remember, you know, growing up, it's like two, two sides to that. So I remember, you know, going to school and people would ask me, what does your dad do? And like, you know, everybody's dad had all these good, dads had these good jobs. What is, you know, I said, dad, what do you, what do you, what do I tell them when they ask me what you do? You know, I didn't know what to say. Right. So he used to tell them I'm a car salesman. But then, then I remember when my father had a, like a bookie joint right in the town I grew up in, you know, that was like a big cool thing because it was like a smoke shop out front, you know, it was a front for right. a bookie joint and he had ice cream in there and candy and, you know, we used to go in there as kids and, you know, get stuff. So that was like the cool part, you know, so. So it's funny, you know, we, my, my dad didn't gamble, but the similarity that you and I have is that we were exposed to gambling very early and saw mm -hmm. guys lose everything and saw guys go down the bad road. And mm -hmm. I always felt like, well, I know exactly what it looks like. I know exactly what to avoid. I'm never going to be that guy because I've seen it. I owned a casino. I exactly. ran a casino. 
you know, I did everything from A to Z like you did and your father did. So I always felt like I know the warning signs. I know what not to do. There's no way I'm going to become a compulsive gambler. And yet, obviously, here I am. When did you start gambling on your own? So, you know, when I graduated high school, I had I got a really good job out of high school with the state of Connecticut. And so, you know, one of the things that gamblers do when when uh, when they need money is the first place they go is to a family member. So my dad would come to me and, and, you know, ask me for money. I would take out loans. You know, so his gambling was really impacting my life to the point where I had all kinds of financial challenges as a result of my dad's gambling. So then one day he he asked me to meet him at OTB. He had a couple of horses that, that I could maybe make some money back and, you know, get a few bucks. So what was I going to do? So I said, okay, I met him down there. This was probably 1976 or so. And he said, how much money do you have? I gave him $10 and he bet the daily double in the last two races. Um, I think it was at Aqueduct and two long shots came in and I, and, and I won a lot of money, Craig. It was a lot of money. My first win was a considerable for back then even. Right. And so I was like, wow. And it was like, you know, I wanted to know more about this horse thing. You know, <laughs> and, uh, I started, you know, going down there more frequently after work at OTB, learning how to read the racing form, and it and it just kind of progressed. You know, it, 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 and it was like I got to connect with my dad, something yeah. to do with my dad almost every day. And um, you know, it's interesting as I'm listening to you, I'm trying to you know, figure out the relationship with your dad because. I'm sure at some level he's your hero, your kid, like every boy looks up to their dad, obviously. But mm-hmm. then he put he put you in an interesting spot where I imagine how to change your relationship. You know, you're supposed to ask your dad for money. When your dad comes to you asking you for money, asking you to take out loans to help him out, I imagine that kind of you know changes the perspective of seeing your dad as a hero, yeah? Well, yeah, it was, it, the thing was, Craig, it was hard to say no. I couldn't say no. He was my dad. How do I tell my dad no? You can't, and, right. And he was good at what he did. You know, he was good at, you know, manipulating and doing different things and to get money because that's how he survived, you know. Let me add on that because, Stephen, like, I, I just so connect with what you just said because I grew up in northern New Jersey. My first experience in gambling was at the racetrack with my father. And, you know, I, I always think about my big win wasn't monetary. It was just spending time with my dad. Like, to me, yeah, yeah. that was the win. I can't remember how much I won or lost. Like, the Daily Double, like, monetarily was huge for you. But you not only had that, you also had, like, the time. Like, you're spending time with someone you idolize, and now you're going to want to prove to him that you're going to read that racing form up and down. You're going to find out every reason why you're going to pick a horse. It's almost in a way like you're seeking his approval. And just like, I, it's like, that's what I was doing and trying to prove why, like, this valuable time we're spending is just so valuable. I just want to keep doing this thing to make him proud of me. So did, did yeah. you and your dad become track buddies after that first win? Yeah, we we would. Uh, I mean, I I worked a full time job, so I would I would go down OTB at lunchtime after work, or take days off from work, and, and you know go to sport, go to Teletrack or Sports Haven on the weekends. You know when I when we had more time, I could do that. So mostly it was at OTB and, and Teletrack in New Haven, most of the gambling. But again, it, you know, it got to the point where. I, I was a pretty good handicapper. I learned from some good people, and that guy, he was. My dad would ask me, ask me who I who I liked. That right. got to that point. So, <laughs> but so uh, walk me yeah. through. You know, you have the big win, obviously, and that you know, uh, that turns you on, gets the juices flowing. Now mm-hmm. you're doing it on a on a regular basis. Uh, mm-hmm. At the at the height of the addiction, give me an idea of, of how bad it was from a time perspective, your know, financial perspective, and what like a normal day was like when you were knee deep in it. 
So a normal day would be get up 5 o'clock in the morning, get the racing form, read it while I was at work, come up with my selections, figure out how I was going to get down to OTB to get my bets in, uh, or maybe where I need, where I was going to get the money to gamble if I was broke. And this was a 24, even though I worked, this was a 24-7 thing. Right. Even though I only bet the horses at, you know, the, the flats at Aqueduct or New York tracks, whatever, you know, from 1 to 5.30, it, it was all all consuming. Like the rest of the day, again, like I just laid it out for you, you know, handicapping, getting money, getting the bets in. And all I thought about was the total preoccupation with, with, the, with the gambling, even though yeah. it was only that. Six hours during a day, I was gambling. But it still becomes, it's all consuming. It's a job. You know, I, I always reference yeah. the, the movie Mr. Mom when Terry Gar says to Michael Keaton or vice versa, even when you're here, you're not here. You know, and that's our life as gambling addicts that, you know, we're so focused on getting money, uh, spending money, gambling money, where we're going to gamble, how we're going to gamble. If we don't have money, who's going to mm-hmm. give us the money? If we owe people money, how am I going to pay them back? And I've always said one of the, the, the best most positive changes in my life was the amount of free brain space I have that I'm not totally consumed with that. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. It is. So when, so you're knee deep in it, obviously financially, you know, you have the up and downs, more downs than up. And then I imagine there's some pivotal moment in your life where it all goes South. How old were you when it really started before you have that final day? How old were you? And where were you in life regarding, you know, marriage, kids, all that stuff, as you were going down that slippery slope? So I was I was about 29 years old. Um, I was living alone in my apartment. You know, I had a, a, a girlfriend for a, quite a few years over this time, on and off. Um, and uh, then I, I wound up being alone as a result of my gambling, uh, living in an apartment, you know, trying to, you know, getting kicked, almost getting kicked out of my apartment, the lights getting turned off, things like that. Um, and at the same time, just going to gloss over quickly i was abusing alcohol too through these years of drinking so they kind of went together i didn't drink every day but i drank you know i was binge drinker so alcohol came into play also so you know i was facing a lot of challenges you know financially it was more more paycheck to paycheck and i was still holding down my job for 10 years with the state of connecticut and uh i you know i hit bottom with with alcohol and and some drugs uh, i was doing and I, i was having a hard time showing up for work and so i really didn't want to lose my job so I reached out and got help for it with my alcohol. And so, you know, it, it, it life was getting better. So I was a few months in sobriety going to AA, you know, but I was going to AA every night and I was going to OTB every day. So there were still things that weren't right in my life. It right. wasn't really a sober lifestyle. You know, I wasn't paying my bills. I wasn't, I wasn't paying my taxes. I was financially, I was still a mess. And it was almost drove me to the point of drinking again. So I realized that there was someone in AA that took me to a Gamblers Anonymous meeting in the, you know, the kind of, and then I was able to, you know, I, it clicked my first meeting. I remember going and it was like, I really got a message of hope there that I didn't have to gamble. I didn't have to live my life like this anymore. It was almost like a relief. Hmm. You know, what was there, what, was there like a crazy loss or, you know, like an eviction notice or something that made you, you know, ask this AA sponsor for, you know, advice or help or regarding the gambling or was it just, uh, complete exhaustion of having these multiple addictions and just being tired of his Dan always says of being tired. It was exhausting, Craig. So what it was is I said, like I said, after a few months of sobriety, you know, I had all these, I still had all these problems in my life and, and I almost drank again as a result of them. And that really scared me because I knew if I drank again, I would, it, it would probably be, you know, I'd probably be dead if I, yeah. if I drank again. So I, I reached and I knew I needed help in the fight. You know, I used to blame all my problems on alcohol and drugs. 
And once I took that out of the equation, I couldn't blame it on it anymore. It was the gambling. And so I was able to fog it lift enough for me to recognize that in sobriety. So that was like my transitional moment, really, you know, like almost like a spiritual awakening and kind of like I need to do something about this gambling thing because if I don't, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wind up like my dad and with nothing. And, and so I was, you know, it wasn't easy to stop. I mean, I gambled every day. So with the help of Gamblers Anonymous and connecting with people in their program, I was able to, you know, stop gambling one day at a time. And I'm gonna program. I'm gonna stop you right there because I want to hear the all the good stuff as well. Talking to Steve from Connecticut, and of course Dan Trelauer from Epic Risk Management. This is a Saturday edition of Hello, My Name Is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name Is Craig on the Fan with your host Craig Carton and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800 Gambler. Welcome back to Hello, My Name Is Craig. Dan Schlauer, of course, he's in an airport, so we're not going to hear as much from Dan today as normal because it's noisy back there and he's on his way home. And Dan's been going coast to coast talking primarily to uh, college athletes about the potential dangers of gambling and doing a great job with that. And Dan and I will be participating in a big uh, Responsible Gambling Conference coming up on September 26th in New York City as well. So looking forward to sharing the stage with Dan in that regard. Uh, it's Play Well Day uh, that we'll be participating in. But uh, Steve in Connecticut's here. So Steve, when you stopped gambling, uh, and uh, I respect that you had you know, multiple addictions and you were abusing alcohol and doing some drugs as well, did it, did it take right away or you went into that first GA meeting, but, you know, I still gambled a little bit. Or were you totally committed? And literally since then, you have not gambled, you know, since that first GA meeting you attended. No, but Craig, by the grace of God, I haven't gambled since that first meeting I attended. Awesome. And, what, and I kind of understood the nature of recovery being an AA for like about seven or eight months and the one day at a time, you know, and the 12 steps. And I knew right. that. I knew it was life and death if I didn't stop. If I didn't stop doing what I was doing, you know, I, it would be, it wouldn't be good. So, um, I was able to, and I got a message of hope. I got to learn how I could live my life without gambling. And I remember my very first meeting, there was an old timer named Ed B at the meeting. And he said something that it really resonated with me. And he said, everything he tried to get by gambling, he now has today by not gambling. And I always thought I had to gamble to get everything I needed in life. That's the way I was brought up with my yeah, dad. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. You know, you had to make a score to to go on vacation, get make a score for to get Christmas presents. So I always thought I had to make a score to get whatever I needed in yeah, life. That's funny. I, I used I used gambling as the you know as the platform to allow my family to go on vacation. Like, hey, you know, we, maybe we can't afford or we, we I don't want to spend the money to go to a certain place. But if I go there and there's a casino, they'll fly us there. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I I always use gambling as a reason to go. To certain places that, looking back on it, I probably could have afforded on my own because mm-hmm. I was doing well with my salary on the radio. Yeah. But it didn't matter. It, it was I found a way to bring gambling into my family's world where, hey, I know you guys hate going to Hollywood, Florida, but they'll put us on a private jet and they don't care what <laughs> hotel we stay at. So it's all good. I know, by the way. I do have to disappear for three nights of the vacation to go play blackjack, but look at all the good things you guys get. I, I mean, I rationalize the hell out of all of it. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things I think uh, that is really important about this show is that it is not just doom and gloom, that no matter how deep people that are listening to it right now are or their loved ones are into the addiction, whether it's financial despair, relationship despair, health issues, etc., once you commit yourself to living a healthier lifestyle and not gambling, 
you can get everything in life back. I'm proof positive of that. I've got one of the great jobs in the world. I'm reconnecting with my family, which is a longer process, of course, because there are so many deep emotions and scars that I created by lying and, and you know, mm-hmm. risking everything I had built and, you know, given to my family from a support sure. standpoint. But here I am just over five years later, and I can attest to the fact it can and does get better. You talked about kind of seeing the the window of hope at your first GA meeting. And I wonder if you could share that with people that might be struggling today or, you know, back where you were in 87, back where I was in 2018, you know, where Dan was a dozen years ago, where it's day one. All right, I finally will accept the fact that I have a problem. I'm willing to get help. I'm willing to be honest. I'm willing to open up. But, man, I just can't see a bright future. What do you say to people like that? So, you know, I had a successful one career with the state of Connecticut, and now I work in gambling for the past 10 years. So I get to work with individuals every day, you know, that struggle with gambling disorder. So, you know, I get to be that person sitting across the room, the face of hope. You know, and conveying that life can be good without gambling and, and sharing, you know, making that connection with the individual that, you know, hey, if I could do this, you can do this, you know, and, and, and just kind of, I always say I'm the hope salesman. You know, yeah. It's like I try to try to convey that. And I think, you know, being able to connect with those individuals and, uh, you know, see that it can be done and just kind of, you know, help them through the process. So I'm very grateful to have this second career working in gambling. And I'm really grateful for everything that I went to. You know, my life has been wonderful as a result of all the challenges I faced growing up with my dad, even my dad, I'm grateful for everything that I went through with him because I wouldn't have this wonderful life that I have today, you know, without sure. having gone through that. So, you know, as far as working through the resentment and, and all of that over the years with my dad, it's all, you know, he passed away many years ago on my 50th anniversary, but, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for him. And I'm grateful for the good things and the bad things. So, Dan, I'm um, going to bring you in here, Dan, because that's such a great way to look at it where if you embrace the negative experiences in life, they can allow you to enjoy today, tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, as opposed to, you know, burying those moments and holding resentment about things that didn't go your way or people that may have wronged you or whatever the case may be. It's such a great positive outlook to own the negative moments as part of your life story, embrace the negative moments and use them to really appreciate all the good moments we have now. I agree. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a function of wisdom. That's a function of perspective. And, you know, something Stephen said is, like, I think about when we were in active addiction, we were hope fiends. We were fiending just for hope. But in recovery, we're actually a hope salesman. I love that, Stephen. Like, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> people who don't understand it, you go from a hope fiend to a hope salesman. And it's just such a, <laughs> a, a, an interesting perspective. But, Craig, you're right. It comes back to perspective. It, it releases the shame. It releases the stigma where we can realize you know, we're vulnerable. We have weaknesses. We've made mistakes. And the journey of recovery is a journey, man. There are days that are easier or harder than others. And so you both can attest to that. I know I can attest to that. And it's just that it's that perspective and, and again, the wisdom that we gain from sharing and learning and being willing. For me, the first time that I really heard the book was when someone said it's not about stopping gambling. It's about having a desire to stop gambling. And that's Mm -hmm. a huge difference. The desire is what really mattered to me when I heard those words. Steve, let me let me ask you this. Thank you, Dan. Um, because now that you know you're working in in this in this field, and I'm gonna I'll be very personal about it. There 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 are nights, and I I can't control during my dreams, where I still have dreams about playing blackjack. And when I wake up from those dreams, I'm not sure if I should be mad at myself. I never act on it. Knock on wood. I haven't acted on it. But every once in a while, it's not every night. You know, I I will wake up from a dream 
where I was playing high stakes blackjack. And I'm not sure if it's okay for that to be happening. I don't even know what I could do about it because it's in my sleep. I'm not consciously trying to to have those dreams, but it was such a big part of my life. There are moments every now and then when it's real. And in my dream, I'm sitting at that table, you know, and I'm betting 10 grand a hand and it's real to me. And I wonder what your take on that is. So, you know, I think, you know, a couple couple thoughts. I know early on I would have a few dreams about, you know, getting a racing form or something, things like that. And I know we talk about gambling all the time. Right? I, I kind of look at it this way. Some, I talk about gambling every day, every single day of my life. It seems like, so, hey, what do we dream about? Things that maybe happened during the day, things about maybe we talked about during the day or last week. So I, I kind of maybe connect it to some of the stuff that we live every, every day. So. Um, or yeah. maybe some of the stuff that we, we relive or talk about on a daily basis, like you're telling me about it right now. Maybe you'll yeah, have I another dream about it. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Like, you know, gambling costs me everything in life, right? So, mm-hmm. obviously, I, I, it's easy for me to say I'd like to think I'll never gamble again. I don't make that promise. I just don't think I'm going to gamble today, and I live by that. I know it seems mm-hmm. kind of cliche for those of you that are listening that maybe haven't experienced, you know, the addiction yet or you're, you know, you're concerned about it, but you haven't lived it yet. Oh, that's just a silly cliche, but you know, if for me it's real. I imagine for you guys it's real as well, because I, you know, it's funny. I was saying to my family the other day, you know, we're surrounded by gambling ads. I work in sports, you know, TV. I'm surrounded by mm-hmm. gambling. I'm asked about lines all the time. I'm aware of the lines. I have to discuss, you know, is the team going to win or lose, and why are they underdog or favorite, or if there's a, you know, the, you know, a. Uh, uh, a newsworthy bad beat, all that stuff. And for my job, I have to you know, acknowledge that stuff and talk about it. Um, but at the same time, I kind of feel sometimes icky about it where, boy, I wish I didn't have to talk about it because I want that so far away from me uh, mm-hmm. that I'm worried that, you know, maybe, maybe today's the day I slip. I don't know. Maybe it's today I, 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 I bet a turkey sandwich on something, and that's kind of like the entry point for my return to gambling. And it scares me enough not to do it, but I mm-hmm. imagine for a lot of people listening, you know, they do gamble again. And I think the message, and please, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, gambling addiction and recovery from addiction is not one size fits all. It's and not. you might slip. And if you do, as long as you're, you own it, and you share that with a loved one, a sponsor, whomever, it's okay. You can overcome it and not to be too hard on yourself if you do have a bad moment because we're just human at the end of the day. That's yeah, right. and I think it's a journey of addiction. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. and again, it's sometimes it's five minutes at a time, not one day at a time if you're going through that moment. And especially with the young people that come into our program, you know, you tell them, oh, you, 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 we can't tell them you never can gamble again. They got their whole life ahead of them. So we just say, you know, again, we work with them, you know, just for today. Right. Just do these things for today. You know, it's only you have to do it for today and try to just beat that drum, you know, talk about that, you know, just for today. And so I think it makes it a lot easier for especially the younger folks. You no know? doubt about it. Well, Steve, listen, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And it's amazing how you've turned uh, the biggest negative in your life to your life's work. And I always, Dan as well, I like guys that do that and gals that do it. You know, there's a special place for you guys because you took the worst possible thing that's probably ever happened in your lifetimes, mm-hmm. and now you legitimately pay it forward every single day. And I'm going to tell you something I know you don't need to hear because you already know it, but as gambling has grown in popularity and, and legality coast to coast, you guys sharing your stories, I think this show for sure 
is literally going to save lives and is saving lives uh, just so that people can be more aware of gambling addiction and understand that it's an everyman problem. Uh, you ain't got to be a special man or woman to fall prey to gambling addiction. And the more we share these stories and personalize them, I think the more appreciation the public will have for people like us who meant nobody any harm, thought we were doing it responsibly, you know, recreationally, and then, you know, outside of our control, it bit us right in the ass, and we weren't prepared for it. So more power to you. Appreciate you sharing your story. Hope I can return this favor one day, and uh, you keep doing what you're doing, and congratulations on over 30 years of recovery. Uh, very proud of you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Craig and Dan. appreciate you having me. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Dan, as always, appreciate you. Looking forward to sharing the stage with you at Playwell Day coming up on September 26th. Looking forward to that. And uh, if anybody wants to hear this episode in its entirety or any of the Hello, My Name, Craig episodes, just go to the Odyssey.com website. You can navigate and hear all the past shows as well uh, via podcast or whatever stream we have online. Joe Beningo's coming up next. we got a big weekend of football, of course. And uh, Evan and Tiki back, of course, Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock, right after Brandon and Sal and the morning guys with Boomer and Geo. Have a great week. Thank you for letting me join you again. We will see you next Saturday right here with Hello, My Name is Craig, exclusively on WFAN.